pleasure to, uh, to worship with you today. Hope you have been, uh, been blessed by it. If you want to go ahead and open your Bible to Genesis chapter 3 or turn on your phone, however you choose to get there, tablet or whatever. Genesis 3 is where we'll be. So last week, we began a new series that is titled Between the Trees. And basically, what we said last week is that this is talking about everything that happens between the trees that we read about in Scripture. In Genesis 1 and 2, we read about the trees of the knowledge of good and evil. Primarily, we read about the, uh, or we read about both of those, but the one I'm talking about right now is the tree of life. And then you go all the way to the end, the book of Revelation, again, you see the tree of life come back into play, and everything that we're talking about happens, say it with me, between the trees. And that's what we are, that's what we're talking about. Now, uh, as I said last week, the approach that I'm, I'm taking in this series is not your typical sermon approach. I'm trying not to sound so preachy, although I'm not doing a good job at it right now, but in a minute I'm going to change that. I'm just letting you in easy. But for this series, at least right now, I'm not offering a traditional invitation uh, because I want to leave some tension hanging there as we, as we talk about this, as we talk about this Story And what the story is, is the story of God, it's the story of Jesus, it's the story of us. And so I'm approaching it from a, a conversational style, and that's how we are working through this. Now, then I also said that for the duration of this series, I'm going to be using the New Living Translation. So if you, you, know, if you want to open your phone up to that version, you can, or if you like to do it the old-fashioned way, uh, and use a regular Bible. If you've got a New Living Translation, you may want to bring a copy of it. But that's where, that's where it will be. Was everybody got their coffee? Good. I'm glad. Glad we could uh, gather here this morning for coffee. Hello? <laughs> You're on your way? Okay. No, no, you can still make it. Yeah, we got you a seat saved. Okay, bye. <laughs> They're on their way. They'll be here soon. So we're talking about, again, like last week, we're talking about what it means to live life between the trees. And last week, you know, we talked about the first part of it, and it was the naked truth. Well, today i got some more naked truth for us that we're going to talk about. Isn't that a funny word, naked? I mean, you just giggle when you hear it, naked, naked, naked. Naked. You know, it just gets funnier and funnier each time you say it. Naked. 
Yeah, naked. That's just a funny word. And so today we're talking about the naked truth. Again, it's okay to laugh. I see you really fighting it. You can laugh. It's okay. Naked. You know, it's just one of those words, you know. It's just one of those funny words. But there's a lot to the word naked, you know. And it's, it's funny for a, for a reason. But so last week we gathered and we started talking about why is it important why is it important for me to have a relationship with God? Well, started thinking about that. Started talking about it. Said, you know, we all have relationships, right? We have different kinds of relationships. We've got some relationships that are very close, very intimate, very, you know, you just, you sort of, you know how the other one thinks, you know how they react, you know how they will be in a, in a given situation, some of those relationships are clo- so close that, uh, you know, uh, they might not even knock when they come over. Just come right in because that's a, that's a good relationship, right? That's a sign of, of, of closeness and, and intimacy. But then there's some of those other relationships that are marginal, and, you know, you might see them every now and then. or uh, It might be somebody who you used to see a lot, and maybe you moved away or they moved away or they live on the other side of the country or just schedules are so busy, and so... They're kind of marginal. Those, those are okay as well, too. But then there's other kind of relationships that we have. And probably all of us have experienced the kind of relationship that was one time really good and really strong, and then for some reason now it's not so strong. And it's not so intimate and it's not so close as, as maybe it, it once was. And if you remember last week, I said I think the reason for that is because we all bring baggage into our relationships, right? We bring baggage. We bring brokenness. We bring things that have happened to us, things that have been done to us, sometimes intentionally, sometimes not. We bring in things that we have done into a relationship. And so sometimes it's, it's not that the relationship can deteriorate because of something that's been done to us. It might be because we've done something. And I know that as I think about some of the relationships I can, that I've got in my life, I can see both sides of that. I can see where there were things that were done and said that caused the relationship to deteriorate. And I can also look and say, you know what? There are things that I did and there are things that I said that caused that relationship to deteriorate. You know what baggage, baggage really is another word for? It's sin. It's the sin that we bring into our relationships. I mean, think about it. When things go bad, for the most part, it's usually because somebody gets upset, gets angry at something that's been done or something that's happened. And I imagine that we can probably chase a lot of that back, the kind of the root of that just being sin. You know, those things, those things can, can change our relationship. They can even destroy relationships. Well... Just so everybody's on the same page, and you know, because nobody likes to come into a conversation halfway through, you know, what I thought I would do is just let's just walk back a little bit some of the things that, that we talked about last week so that we're kind of all on the same page. If you'll remember, we talked about what God did. You know, our God is greater that we just sang about. And, you know, what is the greatness of God that we sing about? Well, you go all the way back to the story of Genesis, the book of the beginnings where we try to, to 
to understand everything, and we read about a God who began to create. He created the earth, created the heavens. And then he began to, to populate the earth over a, over a week, you know, night and day. He filled the seas with all kinds of creatures and sea life, sea monsters. Then he populated the earth with plants and vegetation, trees. They covered it with animals of all kinds. And at the end of each day, remember what he said? He said, it is, it is good. And God looked around and he says, that's pretty good. But he wasn't through creating. And so he created again. And what he created was man. And he called him Adam. And as he sat back and looked at Adam, he said, now that right there, Say with me, that is very good. That is very good. And it was great. Life in the garden was, was absolutely incredible. He set Adam down as the gardener in his garden, the Garden of Eden. And remember, Eden means delight. So he is living in in God's delight, and his job is the, the caretaker of the garden. God brings him all the animals and says, hey, you pick. Whatever you call it, that's what it's going to be called. That stripy thing, zebra. <laughs> that thing with the really long neck, that must be a giraffe. Nobody let Adam call all of these things. And animals were great, and life was great in the garden. So there was something missing. Adam found great companionship with the animals, but they couldn't offer him true relationship, at least not in the way that we experience relationships with one another. And so God caused Adam to fall asleep and he took a rib and he, he created Eve. And remember what Adam's words were. He says, at last, here's one that is bone of my bone and, and flesh of my flesh. It was as if Adam was saying, finally, someone, someone who gets me, someone who, who understands me. And, and what we began to realize last week as Adam and Eve are there in the garden the animals there all the creation is there Adam's the caretaker the chief gardener they're in daily communion with God and what we realize is that God longs to be in relationship and communion with his creation and that's good news isn't it I think that is that God longs to be in that kind of relationship with what he has created. And remember, God gave the man and the woman two things that no other creature has. The soul and the image of God. And that's what makes it possible for us to have these deep, deep relationships. And like we said 
last week. It, it doesn't matter where we come from, what your background is, what has happened to you, what you have done. What matters is that you have a soul given to you by God and that you are created in the image of Almighty God. And nobody can take that away from you. Right? You are created in the image of God Almighty. The world may try to set different barriers on us, but God says, you're stamped with my image. You're my creation. And God longs to be in that relationship with us. So there they are in the garden, you know, and there's those trees that we talked about. There's the tree of, of life. And as long as they have access to that tree, they'll live forever. Okay? Now, it's not like God created them as immortal and put them in the garden. No. As long as they have access to the tree of life, they will live forever. But as soon as they don't have access to the tree is when they're going to die. But then there's the other tree. There's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he said, don't eat of that tree. You know, the day you eat of that tree, you will surely die. And remember, that, that tree is about, it's about choice, but it's also about loyalty and, and, and obedience to God. And will we, will we do what, what God says? And so there they were, life in the gardens, pretty close to perfect. Daily, daily communion with God. But like any good story, like any good story, there's got to be a, a plot twist. And so today, that's where we are. We're looking at it. We're going to see that the, the story, it, it takes a, a very, very, very dark turn. So as we closed out last week, we focused on the very end of, of chapter 2 as we were wrapping up our, our meeting over coffee. And we looked at that verse at the end of chapter 2, and it said, Now the man and his wife were both, and here's our word, they were both naked, and they felt no shame. Remember that? They were naked, and they, they felt no shame. Because when you got nothing to hide... You know, you're free. You know, there's nothing to, there's nothing to hide. They're pure in, in every sense. There's nothing to mask. There's no deception. There's no lies. And the naked truth is that. They had absolutely, absolutely nothing to hide. Absolutely nothing to hide before God. And as we, we closed out, the day before we had to break up and go do other things, you know, we kind of said, okay, so what does it mean? What does it mean to be naked and feel no shame? Because that's what Adam and Eve felt. There they were in the presence of God, daily communion with God. They were completely naked and, and felt no shame. They were uninhibited. What does that mean for us, metaphorically? 
What does it mean for us to have nothing to hide before God? Well, that's the way way they were. And so today, as we keep talking about the story, and the story progresses, chapter 3 opens, and Eve is out. She's doing something, don't really know what, but she has an encounter with a serpent. And the story says this, that the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat of the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you'll die. Now, you go back and you read chapter 2, you realize that Eve wasn't there when God laid down that rule. So Adam must have told her, and she even takes it a step further. You know, God said, don't eat of it. She says, don't eat of it. Matter of fact, don't even touch it. You know, don't even touch that fruit. Don't need that temptation. And so he says to her, did, did God really say, did God really say that you'll die? She says, no. We need any tree we want to, except that one, that one in the middle. It's got the you know, tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the one that we don't eat out of, because if we eat out of that one, we'll die. And then the serpent says, you won't die. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. You see what he's doing? The serpent is, is leading her somewhere. You know, that's what temptation is always designed to do, isn't it? It's supposed to lead us somewhere. Okay, and what I found out, and you probably know this too in your own life, is that temptation is designed to lead us away from God and God's will, what God wants in our life. And that's exactly what the serpent is doing. He says, you won't die. God knows you'll become like him. It's almost like he's saying, look, God's jealous. God doesn't want you to become like him. That's why he told you not to eat it. And what you have is the first half truth in the Bible. Okay? Okay, the, the, the truth part is that, yeah, you will become like God. You're going to know good and evil, but the lie, the trick is you won't die. Said you'll be like God. You see, because at this point, Adam and Eve, they have no really idea of what good or evil are. They don't even really know what good is because they've got nothing to compare it to. You know, think about it. How do we know that something is good? Because something bad happens. Does that make sense? It's like something happens, you're like, oh, wait a minute. This is bad. That was good. So far at this point in their garden, life has been good. And so they have no knowledge of, of good or evil. Okay? And so the serpent is saying, look, you're not going to die. God just doesn't want you to become like him, having this 
this extra knowledge. So, so the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious because temptation always looks good, you know? If it was not attractive, it wouldn't be temptation, right? Make sense? Okay. She wanted it and the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it too. We're thinking, what's going on here? Why is this, you know, why has this happened? You know, it's, it's we, we, we always, we want to blame Eve. We like to give our ladies a hard time about ushering in the first sin. You know, you've, you've heard that, right? My question is, what in the world is Adam doing? Because what's his job? He's the chief gardener. He's the chief priest of the garden, and part of his role is to do what? To guard the garden. He's kind of laying down on the job. He's not guarding the garden. He should have stepped in at that moment and said, wait a minute, Eve, hold up. This isn't for us. We don't need this. But instead, he lets her go ahead and take the fruit, and then when she offers it to him, he doesn't say, no, I'm the gardener. I can't do that. Of his own free will and his own free choice, what does he do? He takes the fruit too. And then, then something happens. There's a shift that takes place in Eden. Notice verse 7. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Do you see the shift that's taken place in the garden? Before this happened, the man and his wife were naked and they felt no shame. But now, their eyes are, are open. It says they realized they were naked and they were ashamed. And so they started to, to cover themselves. You see, because the naked truth is that sin sparks a desire to cover. Right? It sparks something inside of us to cover. We mask it. We hide it. We don't want anybody to know about it. Why do we tell lies? You know, why do we deceive people? Why are we quiet about things that are not good, that are going on in our lives? Because we don't want people to know. And so we mask and we, we cover up, and that's what sin does. The naked truth is that sin sparks something inside of us that says, i got to cover it, i got to conceal it, i got to contain it. I cannot. I cannot let it out. I can't let anybody know what's going on. And now there's this shift. Before they were naked and not ashamed. Now they're naked and they're very ashamed because now they have the knowledge of what good and evil are. Because before it was like, hey, it's great. Naked as a jaybird. Don't care. And now 
just like us. We cover. We mask. We conceal. This is why nakedness feels shameful to us now. You realize that? That's why we don't go running down the street streaking. Well, most of us. Might be a few exceptions. But for the most part, we don't do that because it risks exposure. Nobody wants to be exposed in, in such a way. Now, watch this. Verse 8. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord called out to the man, Where are you? What we realize is that this is probably this is a daily thing that's going on. God is there in the garden with Adam and Eve. That in the cool of the day, Adam and Eve got to go take a stroll through God's delight with God himself, with the Creator. God shows up, it's time for their evening walk, and guess what? He can't find the man and the woman. He calls out to him, he says, where are you? He says, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. God, like any good parent, asks a question that he already knows the answer to. He said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? then it really starts to unravel. It was the woman. It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. You see what he just did? You see what he just did? That's the first blame in the Bible. Okay? And not only does he blame Eve, he indicts God. Hey, God, what's up? That woman that you, remember you created that woman, and you gave her to me. She's the one who gave me the fruit. Okay? It ain't about me. You did this. She gave me the fruit. Okay, so really, God, this is your fault. Do you see? That's what he's done. He's not only blamed Eve and removed his free choice from the matter. He's blamed God as well. But it didn't... Isn't that how sin works? We blame. We shift focus. We transfer guilt. It's exactly what's going on right here. God asked the woman, what have you done? Same thing, the serpent deceived me. The serpent, you made, by the way. The serpent deceived me. That's why I ate it. And God curses the serpent. Tells the serpent he's going to crawl on his belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And he says there's going to be hostility between you and the man. You know why we hate snakes? Bam, right there. That's why. 
We've already had two snakes in our garden this week. We didn't go out there and pet them. Oh, sweet little black racer. No. You feel like you need a new pair of shorts when you see a snake. You run. Why? Okay, because of this. And so he crawled away. But then God turns to Eve. He said, I'm going to sharpen the pain of your pregnancy. In pain, you will give birth. Can I get an amen from the ladies? Come on. Y'all don't sound like that giving birth. Come on. Yes or no? But yeah. Now, I don't know. I'm not going to even pretend like I know. I don't know. I got nothing to compare that to. But this is what God says. It's going to be pain. But, you know, there's a Jewish interpretation that I think it's, carries this a little further than just pain and childbirth. I think it carries with it the idea, when it talks about the birth pangs, I think it's carrying with it the idea of the anxiety that you're going to have. Moms, you know what I'm talking about? The anxiety of being pregnant and going through that and hoping everything is okay. The anxiety of finding out, you know, am I going to make it to 12 weeks? Okay, am I going to make it to 20 weeks? What is it going to be like when we see that ultrasound? Maybe you didn't do that at all. Maybe you didn't have that available when you gave birth. And so it was just, you found out you were pregnant one day, and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, uh, we're bringing another person into the world. And I have to make sure this person survives. You know what I'm talking about? And so I think this is the anxiety, this is the birth pangs, that go along with the, the, the physical pain. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> so he turns to Adam. He says, hey, look, since you listened to your wife and you ate from the tree and didn't stand up and guard the garden like you were supposed to, All the ground is going to be cursed because of you. And all your life, you will struggle to scratch out a living from it. Life isn't going to be easy anymore. It's going to be tough. Okay? You're going to live hand to mouth from this point forward. It's no more lush, green. You know, it's not just going to be there for the taking. It's going to be tough. The ground is going to grow thorns and, and, and thistles. I know you'll eat of its grains, you're going to do so by the sweat of your brow. You're going to have to work for this. You're going to have to cultivate the ground. And you will have food to eat. But you, you're also going to return to the ground from which you were made. For you were dust, and to dust, you're going to return. So God is keeping his word because he told them when they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they're, they're, they're going to die. Now then, watch what happens. 
Then the man, Adam, named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all who live. Hmm. She's also going to be the mother of all who die now. Verse 21, the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. God had to find the skins for them. So there was a sacrifice that had to be made from this point on. Now uh, the world has changed, and now bloodshed is going to be a part of it. But he makes these clothes, and they cover themselves. Now then, watch this, verse 22. Then the Lord God says, look, the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out and they take fruit from the tree of life and eat it? Then they'll live forever. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden. He sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. Told you the story takes a dark turn, doesn't it? You know, and it's, I mean, they've been banished from the garden. Kicked out of, out of God's delight. And, you know, you, you think about that, and it's really easy to look at the expulsion, to look at the, the penalty of death as the worst thing ever to happen to Adam and Eve. Because think about what they have lost for giving in to, to one minute of temptation. For choosing that, that one little time, I mean, it's just a bite of fruit. But choosing that one little act of, of disobedience from God, now they're going to have to scratch out a living. This is going to be a tough existence. Not only that, Eve and every other mother and father is going to experience some anxiety and some worry. Because they're now bringing children into a world that is going to have a 100% mortality rate. And they've lost their jobs as the caretaker of God's garden, the most beautiful place to ever exist. But even in all of that, nothing compares to the fact that they lost their daily communion. That daily communion connection, that daily walk in the garden with God. And so it's really easy to look at that as the worst thing that could possibly have ever happened to Adam and Eve. But as I've begun to, to study a little bit of Eastern Orthodox theology, I began to wonder was it actually a divine act of grace? Just think about it. God's there in the heavens. He looks around at the Holy Council and He says, hey, wait a minute. They've become like us. They know good and evil. They've disobeyed. If they have access to the tree of life, they'll live forever. But yet they'll live forever in a fallen state. They will live forever in a hardened immorality. 
they will live forever as sinful, sin-covered beings. And so maybe as an act of grace, God chooses to let them die. The, uh, the early desert father, St. John of Chrysostom, he said this. He said, partaking of the tree, the man and the woman became liable to death and subject to the future needs of the body. Adam was no longer permitted to remain in the garden and was bidden to leave, a move by which God showed his love for him. He had become mortal, unless he presumed to eat further from the tree which promised an endless life of continuous sinning, he was expelled from the garden as a mark of divine solicitude, not of necessity. God loved his creation so much that he could not let it go on existing eternally in a physical fallen state. And so that's why they had to leave the garden. That's why they, they had to go. Paradise was lost. They lost everything. And, and even more than that, what happened is that the relationship that they had with God changed. Because it was once evening walks, evening strolls through the garden with God. And now it's they're out of the garden. They're going to have to work the ground. It's going, to be, it's going to be hand to mouth. There's going to be anxiety and there will be, there will be death. Sin changed the relationship. Author Donald Miller in his book, Searching for God Knows What, says perhaps the reason Scripture includes so much poetry, so many parables and stories, so many visions and emotional letters is because we're attempting to describe a relational break that man tragically experienced with God. And I think he's on to something there. Because it seems like we are forever looking for something. We're longing for something. We're trying to find fulfillment. That's why we turn to all sorts of things why we have affairs. It's why we, we cheat. We commit adultery. It's why we become addicted to pornography. It's why we turn to substances like drink and, and, and drugs because there's something in us that is missing and we're trying to fill it. And a lot of times those things just lead us further and further and further away from God. It's something that we, we long to get back, but we can't get it back on our own. The bad news is that sin changed our relationship with God. But God had a backup plan. 
Let's pray together.